This episode of Brewbloods is brought to you by Warby Parker. Get five pairs to try on for free for five days by going to warbyparkertrial.com slash brewbloods. That's warbyparkertrial.com slash brewbloods. It's like a pair a day. Drink beer. Think beer. You're listening to Brewbloods. Without question, the greatest invention in the history of mankind is beer. Oh, I grant you that the wheel is also a fine invention, but the wheel does not go nearly as well with pizza. It delivers pizza, though. That's from humorist Dave Barry. Beer delivers pizza? Well, no, the wheel. Oh, the wheel delivers The wheel contributes to delivering pizza, or beer, really. I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, but the pizza is also a wheel, so does it deliver itself, ultimately? Uh, That's a good question. It's not a good question, actually. It's a terrible question. Yeah. Unless you have the turtle van, which is probably... (laughs) Made of pizza? Got pizza hubcaps. (laughs) Right. But uh, that's not a thing. So It's not a thing. That's true. So, uh, loyal listener of ours, Charles Passens, emailed us, and he wanted to comment on our diet talk last week, talking about trying to be more healthy. Yeah. And he said, listen to your new episode, thought I'd mention this diet that I'd started called the slow carb diet. It's basically meat, beans, and vegetables for six days and one cheat day where you do whatever you want. The guy who wrote this book literally said, if you want to drink an entire keg on cheat day, do it. I've come close. Alcohol poisoning. Uh, right. But after three weeks, I'm down 14 pounds with no exercise. Pretty awesome. That from Jason. Nice. A.K.A. Charles, apparently. Yeah. Jason Charles. <laughs> Whichever name he wants to go Whichever by. Whichever one he wants. Yeah. So this is uh, Tim Ferriss's, the four-hour workweek guy. He had the, uh, oh, not the, it was the sequel to four-hour workweek. What slow about three out. hours, though? <laughs> no, not three hours. Just four hours. Oh, okay. And I actually did slow card for a while. And for me, it didn't work as well. Like, I did it for probably six months. I definitely lost some weight. It just didn't work because I, after that cheat day, like, I would eat 20,000 calories, you know, mostly which are Reese's. Right. And then for, like, a majority of the rest of the week, I would be, like, bloated and, like, retain all this water weight and stuff until it would often come off. Yes, I lost weight, but... Right. I mean, I enjoy the cheat day. Don't get me wrong. It was it was a lot of fun, but it didn't work for me. <laughs> but it, it's worked for a lot of people, so... If you're I was like, going to say, that might just be your weird body chemistry. Yeah, it's the four-hour body. It's the name of the... Uh, Name is his sequel book, by the way. Yeah. Definitely, it's a fun one to do. So I should look forward to that cheat day and drink and eat yeah. all day. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the thing I'm doing right now, I've lost almost, uh, as of today, 29.9 pounds. So. Oh, okay. Not so, quite the big 3-0? Not quite. Almost. It's very frustrating this morning. <laughs> I was point one away. Yeah. Point one. Did, did you consider just uh, stabbing yourself in the gut and pulling just, out just yeah, a handful? Pulling out an intestine <laughs> so I get that point one. <laughs> whatever comes out, it doesn't matter. Just yeah. as long as it's that much weight. But uh, for now, let's get to some brews in the news. As always. As always. So there was some big news this past week in that uh, AB InBev <laughs> and their high-end beer division decided to lay off 90% of its sales force. Wow. They recently uh, they have a, a nice round 10 breweries in their uh, high-end portfolio now. And apparently with... Goose is part of that, right? Uh, is Goose AB InBev? I believe they are. So I wonder, if, sure. I wonder if that has anything to do with uh, like these guys that went around this and did this tour and you know everything that we just did with Goose. I wonder if, I wonder if Jesse's out of a job at this point. Or, I, I hope not. <laughs> no, I hope not but too. I, but I'm just wondering at what what element. What Forbes reported was that anybody who was employed directly by the brewery, they did not lay them off. Ah. It, it appears that these were mostly salespeople. This was 380 employees and others that were, I guess, employees just of the high end. Their craft. Their craft, quote unquote, uh, brewery division. Right. So, all those. Are the, I don't think Jesse and those guys that we talked to a few months ago. I don't. I think they're probably still employed. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If it's people that didn't work directly with the brewery, then yeah, they'd be fine. Yeah, and apparently with all these acquisitions, of course, you it comes with their own employees staffs, and there were just a bunch of redundancies, and they said it was more effective for people who are working. From what I gather, people who are working directly at the brewery who have relationships with distributors and stuff like that, for them to do more of the sales work, and, which makes yeah. sense if you know the beer better. And, it makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, it actually makes sense. And the other big news, which didn't really get as much play around the interweb this week, was the fact that they have said they're not going to be acquiring any more breweries, allegedly. They've, they've acquired 10 breweries, and they've decided to pivot, and they want to go more into collaborations and start organic craft beer brands in their portfolio now. So they they recently opened up uh, Tin Barrel, which used to be a craft brewery, and it's not one of the fake ones that they started. Yeah, right. um, they opened up a collaboration with the Bogota Beer Company from Columbia uh, with a new brew pub in Miami. So that's well, kind of the direction they're going now. Hopefully they make an Escobar beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, or maybe an El Chapo or El Mencho or 
Uh, I don't think El Chapo's from that region. Well, they should just just make a whole theme like of drug lord, cartel lord uh, beers. Hey, that fits the crap beer scene. They might want a little kickback from that though. Yeah, true. Hopefully they all. Hopefully well, that's all these... why you go with the old dead ones like Escobar. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Not with the current crop. Yep. So uh, sad news for those employees, but it kind of makes business sense. Yeah, it actually does, and it's interesting that they wanted to start doing collaborations. Yeah. Um, I and, wonder if they if they're going to do like real collaborations or what exactly that means because they I mean like you know how craft brewers actually do that all the time they're mm-hmm. like oh we made this one off beer but what is what does Budweiser have to contribute to that unless they're going to collaborate on a lager they don't really have um, any other styles in their in their like well but basic they, portfolio no but they've got all these guys in their craft beer portfolio now that yeah i mean can, if, they, if they're going to use those 10 guys which is what I get it but. which is what they did these the 10 barrel yeah, uh, sure. people and they collaborated with the bogota beer people and they made a new brew pub called vesa sir if i'm pronouncing that right miami which oh, okay. i guess may by the time you hear this miami may be wiped out by a hurricane but uh <laughs> that's true but yeah i guess that's kind of what they're they're planning to do now is not at least for now not acquire anymore okay well we'll see if they actually stick to that yeah so we had other big news around here. Uh, at least, sad news. Yeah, so sad. Um, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I've been a big Ninkasi homer for years. Always, always liked it. Was pretty excited that it came here. Was pretty excited that they chose Dallas out of everywhere to actually enter Texas. I kind of, kind of figured it would be Austin, honestly. But yeah. you know, they they tried DFW. That was what two years ago. Uh, yeah, it was 2015, and um, they have ended up leaving due to lack of demand in the DFW area. And the the article that explains what's going on with this, and Nkasi's statement was basically that they they gave a lot of effort, they put out a lot of promotions, but basically they weren't getting any kind of return on investment, uh, or not enough to stay around here. So they decided to go ahead and pick up a move. So to me. It's beyond just the Ninkasi leaving Dallas-Fort Worth area or leaving Texas. It's the question of, is there saturation in the market? Is there now such a hyper-focus on local versus having a big craft beer guy come in, quote-unquote? I'm just wondering what would have led to that. I don't know if maybe Ninkasi didn't market here properly, which to me, as a Ninkasi fan, I think they probably did not. I don't think they made, even in their quote-unquote heyday of 2015 when they made a big premiere, a lot of their signature stuff was not available very right. often. That's I mean, what they, I was about to say is, like, we had, like, Tricer Hops was, you could find it okay at first, but then it just, like, in the, the subsequent months, it yeah. was so hard to find after that. Yeah, you couldn't barely find it at all. You could find Total Domination or their yeah. big their big special release. That's pretty much all they would do. Like the, the uh, Nikasi 10. Slayer. Yeah. The, Vanilla the Otis. Yeah. The vanilla, yeah. Otis was, vanilla Otis is a regular that was around a lot, but um, yeah, for some reason it was only like maybe three or four there was, from their portfolio. Yeah, it was just a handful. And I would say I would like they say I mean they say they spent a lot of money. I guess they probably did, but I don't think they spent it smartly then because there were never like when Odell came in a few months ago, and still to this day, giant Odell displays. Yeah, in in total wine and and specs. I never saw that from Ninkasi. Ninkasi was is. Every time I've been to Total Wine, looking for it, it's always in Whole Foods too. Always bottom shelf. Yeah. Always out of the way. Not a script. Hardly any beers on the shelf. And it has been that way for over a year. Yeah. So I question how well they if they spend a lot of money. I don't want to question that, but they didn't spend it very well. I don't think. Yeah, and I think it also speaks to the fact, you know, just to give myself as an example, because I was an Encasi Homer. I used to always bring it back whenever I went up to Oregon or Washington or wherever I could get it. Yeah. And so I was. Very excited to be around. I didn't really go for it that often because they did not have the couple of theirs that I really like right. around very much. I mean, Vanilla Otis, Vanilla Otis is good. Uh, their Spring Green and then some other ones they do are, are fine. But at the same time, it's like if you get some Triceratops and I don't have to hunt for the two bottles you can find mm-hmm. at one Total Wine randomly, I probably would have got that regularly. But I'm not gonna. I'm not just gonna pick up Total Domination or these others that I don't like as much just to support Ninkasi. And, and I would. I would say like the the N10 was a tremendous failure here. I can't speak to yeah. other markets, but there was a glut of N10 on the shelves. Yes, uh, ground control and initially I thought it was a success, and then after that there was a glut of ground control. After that, other than that, we didn't see anything outside of Slayer, Dawn of the Red, Triceratops, Vanilla Otis, and yeah. the other one you mentioned. Yeah, the Spring Rain was around. Yeah. yeah, five five beers year round, and that was about it. Yeah, 
Yeah, but I do wonder if that does have something to do with the fact... Well, I don't wonder. I'm pretty sure it has something to do with the fact that DFW does have a local craft boom as well. And I do think yeah. craft brewers or craft beer drinkers do like to go local. Um, they make a point in this article, and this is uh, from uh, Beer News, and they are sponsored by Flying Saucer. And Flying Saucer was basically talking about how, in this article, they felt like uh, maybe they failed a bit of actually explaining... W- how good the Ninkasi beers were to people and and that kind of thing. Um, There is probably a lack of education to an extent that this is a new thing. They didn't make a big push. I think it's a combo of things. It's what you said. They didn't market themselves very well. They should have had an actual Ninkasi rep Mm -hmm. on occasion show up to one of the beer festivals. Those had some third-party spare that didn't know anything about it. Just do you want this or do you not? And even then, they didn't bring variants. They brought their standard shelf beer. And they brought it in a nondescript cooler. Yeah. You know, I mean, the most didn't have any signage. It's like they didn't really make a big push. It, it's the same argument we have against Jester King. So yeah. Jester King has the cachet across the country that everybody seeks out. Right. Yeah. And Nikoski's like number 33 biggest yeah. craft brewery or something. So they're, they're pretty good size, but I mean, that's Eugene, Oregon is a remote outpost way away from here. Right. <laughs> you know, and I, I, if you're going to try to expand down here and, and DFW is going to be your test market, you really need to put a lot of effort in here, or more effort than they did, I think. Um, I don't even know as much of an Nkasi homer as I was if I'm really going to miss them that much, just because, again, I didn't go for what they were bringing around here. But I, I do wonder, and I'm curious about your opinion on this too, do you think... We're getting to the point where we have so much local stuff and we already have so many marquee things like Two-Hearted Ale, just for an example, that people are going to go for the high, the, the really marquee out-of-state beers like Two-Hearted. And then other than that, do you think maybe locals have covered a lot of the other styles and needs for most people? Yeah, and it's probably the kind of the reshaping of the market in general is everybody focusing more. Uh, well, there's such a broad spectrum of beer now. And yeah. everybody, at least... I can't speak to other markets, but at least here in Texas, they we have a lot of breweries that do a damn fine job of covering those styles. And then there's the reshaping of the market to be hyper local, and people seek out that local stuff first. So it's like I, I do question is I don't I wonder how well Adele is doing, and they've had a big marketing splash in the last six months. Yeah, and I wonder how well they're doing. I'm guessing they're going to get to a point where they probably pull back some of that marketing costs. True, and we'll find a sustainable point, but. Uh, uh, and if you don't, but if you don't have a signature beer too, and I'm not saying Nkasi didn't because or doesn't because I do think they do. Um, I think their Tricera hops is one of the better double IPAs in the market or anywhere. I think uh, you know their special release Otis's are really good, uh, which they didn't really give us too many of them. They give us all their special releases and push those hard, like the like the N10 and the uh, uh, ground control and stuff. But they just didn't. They didn't push their marquee regular beers, I don't think, near, near well yeah, enough. Right. So I'm not saying they don't have any signature beers, because they do. But I think it's also the fact that, just for example, Total Domination made it into places like Kroger and Target and stuff like that. That is a very standard IPA that can be bested by Deep Ellum, which I consider to be a very standard IPA. But I think it's better than mm-hmm. the Total Domination. I think you know things like Mosaic and other ones around here or actually signature IPAs. Like, if you're going to go for IPA, I want to go for a signature really good IPA. I'm not going to go for a very baseline. You know, it's not even, I'd say not even, Two Hearted Ale is one of the best IPAs in the nation. But, you know, that has a citrus special note to it. That You know, there's not there's nothing special about Total Domination. It's just like a, it, it tastes a lot like a generic brewers, I had to throw an IPA in their IPA. And yeah. that's the one they were kind of hanging their hat on. Yeah. You know, I just don't, I don't understand why they did that. I think they kind of messed themselves up in a couple I, of ways. I agree. I agree. I think, I think as when it comes to spending money too, I think, I think whether, whatever you think about Odell, good, bad, or otherwise, they, I think they spent their money the right way because not only did they have, uh, you know, displays in stores, they had events. They made a special beer for Texas, even though we didn't like that beer. They made, that was a great move on their part. To make well, the, the special beer for Texas was Bell's. I'm sorry, I said Odell. I've yeah. been I've been saying Odell this entire time, and I meant Bell's. <laughs> Odell's been here for a long time. I meant Bell's. Yeah. But anyways, Bell's spent their money really well and smartly. Whatever you think about them, yeah. And that's something I think Nikasi lacked, completely lacked. Yeah. They need somebody to steer that ship. And I think um, to the question I posed to you, my response to it would also be that. I don't necessarily think that there's a problem with out-of-state brewers coming in. 
until we start seeing other ones leave, like if we see o- Odell that you've kept saying, <laughs> if they leave or, or Bells Bells pulls out, <laughs> or especially a, something like Founders randomly pulls yeah. out or something, then you're then you're going to be like, okay, well, we're getting really hyper local and nobody cares about yeah. even the bigger crap breweries. But I don't I don't see that happening. If I see that happening, then I'll say, okay, yeah, maybe we're getting yeah. maybe we're getting too hyper local, like they talked about in this article, and people just don't know that there are better options that are from quote unquote big crap breweries. Yeah. I like Black Anitas, that kind of stuff. If those start going away, then, uh, well, you know. they're backed by big money now, so I doubt. True, that yeah, <laughs> yeah, good point. They can afford those big displays all the time, right? So Oktoberfest is coming up here shortly, and we're gonna have a very special episode for Oktoberfest uh, coming up next week. So special, but uh, Adidas has made special shoes for Oktoberfest 2017 called the Munchen Oktoberfest shoes, and. Uh, they are made from the fine. They said the finest leather and DBPR material, aka durable beer and puke resistant material. <laughs> and it also includes uh, each pair includes rich embroidery to match your lederhosen. Nice. And they're actually pretty nice shoes. If you go to Crave Online, you can probably find these. They're called the Munkin Oktoberfest, and uh, these shoes will run you only 199 euro or 240 US. Crave Online sounds like some kind of porn site. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, <laughs> or something about fetishes or something. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's just about. Uh, I take it it's not that. It's just about beer resistant shoes. It's oh, a very okay. limited blog. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I hope they, I hope these things are pee resistant. Also, if it was like that one time when we were at uh, Gas Monkey and that guy, yeah, I almost got in a fight because the pee. <laughs> the guy turned around and peed intentionally peed right on my shoes. Yes, I want a pair. Of, I will buy a pair of these if they're pee resistant. Yeah. Also, you're in resistance. Yeah, I'm surprised you didn't throw those over the top of the the stall <sighs> and hit him in the face with it. Should have. Yeah. Well, it was. It wasn't even that. It was like just a little half half wall oh, okay, in the urinals okay. and he just he just you know whacked his wing over and peed right on my foot and started <laughs> laughing about it nice he must have been way drunk yeah and there was almost a fight and there would have been if my wife hadn't pulled me out of mm-hmm. gas monkey and took me the damn hell home yeah did you tell him he was a big jerk because <laughs> yeah. that definitely is you are a jerk <laughs> that's a jerk move yes it is all right well after this we're going to talk to andrew gill the former co-host of strange brews the wbez Beer podcast, the only uh, public radio-sponsored podcast, crap beer podcast, back in the day, ended back in 2015. But he's been writing for the Onions AV Club for a long time now. He writes the monthly Pick 6 column, as well as other uh, random beer articles here and there. So he writes about interceptions in the NFL? That's Absolutely. All right. This episode of Brew Bloods is brought to you by Warby Parker, the longtime internet glasses maker. Generic. <laughs> Do they make them on the internet? They make them on the internet. Literally, literally, their glasses are made of ones and zeros. <laughs> That's very advanced. <laughs> yeah, they are. They have uh, prescription glasses starting at $95, and uh, I know I know you don't have kids, but a lot of people out there have children. They like to reproduce. And those kids, some of those kids like me, needed glasses when they're starting at three years old. That's true. And neither one of us are reproducing now, so... That's right. And I don't need glasses, but you do. But I do, and I still need to yeah, I still need to get on that. I'm dragging, dragging my heels on that. But you might have a small three-year-old that needs glasses, perhaps a 13-year-old, perhaps a 30-year-old that needs glasses. That's true. And you can get those prescription glasses starting at $95, and they're always fashion-forward if, if you care about that. We can be quite a Warby Parker group here, because my wife, your wife, and you. That's all, right. All glasses wears. We could be the three musketeers of Warby Parker yes. glasses. I, I, I can right. just applaud you guys walking down the street in your Warby Parker. I'm going to get right on that. Just just to have that name. It's going to be the, Warby, the three musketeers of Warby Parker glasses. <laughs> you better. It's a hot commodity. Very specific. Somebody probably already took it. So if you'd like to try some uh, frames from Warby Parker, you can go to warbyparkertrial.com slash brewbloods. That's warbyparkertrial.com slash brewbloods. And get five pairs for five days for free to try on. Hey guys, Josh here just to let you know, to remind you, to get the word out, to put it in your brain that no matter when you're listening to this podcast Thursday is right around the corner. What's so significant about Thursday? Well, at Thursday at noon, you get to tune in and listen live to Liquid Lunch. Join myself and Catherine Contreras from She's Crafty Podcast as we join forces to bring you Texas's live midday craft beer show. It's the only one like it out there in the entire world. We're live. We take your calls at 713-678-0070. We have on the best guests in the craft beer world from the state of Texas and beyond, and it's just a fun time. You'll hear what you're eating. 
What you drinking? We'll get the latest in uh, news and craft beer goings-ons, promotions of all the latest happenings, and you can be a part of the show with us each and every Thursday at noon. LiquidLunchShow.com is where we're located. Also on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel, streaming live video and audio. Your choice. Come join the party. Kick off the weekend Thursday at noon. LiquidLunchShow.com. That's Liquid Lunch. We'll see you there. And now we're joined by Andrew Gill, the uh, columnist for the Onion Navy Club's Pick 6 column and the former co-host of WBEZ's Strange Brews podcast. Andrew Gill, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's been, I've been talking about beer for a little while. I've just been writing, so it's nice to talk about beer again. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, great to hear your voice again. I was a big fan of your show, before, obviously before it ended back in 2015. And I've read your columns now and again on the uh, AV Club. And your most recent article, I was really interested in because we've been talking about the subject about how independent or how independent could or should and could craft beer be. And since 2015, obviously the landscape has changed a ton. The Brewers Association came out with that independent craft beer seal. And there's been a whole lot of fighting, and I've seen a lot here in our local Facebook groups because of that. So uh, what compelling arguments have you heard maybe against the Brewers Association lately? Because it seems they're seeing a lot more consternation against them lately. Yeah, you know, I... Generally, you know, it seems like the independent craft seal is a good idea, but um, it seems like this, this is the point where the chickens are coming home to roost for the Brewers Association because over so many years, they've sort of uh, eroded the definition of craft beer. Well, first of all, they chose craft beer to be the term, you know, that uh, would would like be the rallying cry for this movement of new brewers in america and i I believe um you know ray daniels the guy who created this cicerone program uh i've heard him talk about he used to work for the brewers association and back when he was there 80s or so he he was involved in coming up with the term craft beer and choosing it um but they've they've eroded the definition of it um in some people's eyes because you know they've been pursuing growth. They wanted to show that the uh, the in, the sector of the industry was growing and was a formidable, you know, business. Uh, and so they you know allowed bigger and bigger breweries to remain in craft brewing. You know, most folks say uh, however big Sam Adams gets is what the limit will be. Um, so it's yeah, it's at six million barrels is the limit right now, and that's that leaves such a wide area of, uh, of breweries, you know, that they have nothing to do with each other. Um, if you're Sam Adams or that, that size, um, what do you have in common with a, uh, you know, 2000 barrel a year brewery, um, that only sells out of their tap room, you know, um, that's, a lot of different concerns and, and how can this one organization represent all of those uh, competing interests uh, at the same time? Um, you know, I, I don't know that it's the, in my opinion, I don't think that that ship has sailed yet, but, um, but yeah, that's what a lot of the criticism comes down to. It's that they allow up to 25% ownership by another organization or another brewery Um but they also don't have any guidelines on uh, private equity investments or, you know, uh, co- other kinds of corporate owners that could, you know, control what the brewery chooses to do. Um, so there's that blind spot. There's the, the ownership uh, by other breweries. There's the size. Um, and, you know, the, the whole, you know, small, independent, and traditional used to be the three words for the Brewers Association and traditional is not even really required anymore because they decided to allow like Yingling and um, breweries that, you know, if if you include things that 
are beyond uh, the four traditional ingredients of beer, that's okay as long as, you know, you mostly do traditional beer. Um, so it, it's just sort of like a slippery slope, and they've lost a lot of their sort of authority by seeding that ground in pursuit of growth. Do you think they're trying to either A, push ward off irrelevance, or B, do you think they're pushing themselves towards irrelevance? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I haven't actually interviewed the uh, the Brewers Association on this, but it, it seems like they're warding, try, their view would be warding off irrelevance um, and finally putting a, you know, a line in the sand uh, with this independent craft label, um, which is kind of a shot across the bow that you know, undermines the strategy that the high end and, you know, uh, Constellation and Heineken have been employing by buying other breweries and then not putting their corporate name on it. Um, you know, it blurs, it muddies the waters and makes craft beer mean less uh, when, Anybody could own any beer that you buy with an interesting label. Um, so if you have that sort of like uh, stamp on, on all these beers that they are not allowed to put on, um, that would, you know, stymie this strategy for at least a while until they figure something else out. So um, I, I think it is warding off the irrelevance because, yeah, they were they were seeding a lot of ground, and now they've finally said, "All right, well, this is where we're staking our claim." Um, and you know, I I think it's interesting. I, I think I understand why some breweries haven't signed on to do it. It's expensive to buy, you know, a million more cans for your next batch of of beer and like get the designs done. It, it's a cost that breweries might not have budgeted for things like that but i do hope that as many as possible sign on uh so that you know we can just see what what does this actually what effect does this have on the industry because if it if it doesn't actually take hold widely enough it's it's going to be kind of like a like a mistrial you know (laughs) it'll be like oh well it wasn't executed fully so we won't ever know if uh the consumers really care so and another side effect, not only just having to buy more cans and redesign, uh, I know, I don't know how it is for other states, but here in Texas, anytime you change the label whatsoever, you have to go through a new round of label approval with the TABC. So oh, yeah. That could, yeah, yeah, the, right. Yeah, the, the federal thing, yeah, too. You would have to resubmit, yeah. And that so, might cause, w- depending on your state's standards, uh, that could cause some reexamination of content of your labels. I mean, there's been, of course... Um, certain breweries have what some would consider lewd terms or imagery or, or what have you on their labels. And in certain cases, they fly under the radar and they get through those associations. In other cases, they get rejected. And so if they have to get go through approval again, I mean, they might see their, their brand name, their beer name get rejected again or their imagery or something. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I don't, I feel like that's, that's a thing that the Brewers Association also just took a stand on, you know, um, which caused Flying Dog to just leave the Brewers Association, um, which I, I assume you guys are aware of that story. But yeah, um, they uh, yeah I, I think that's I'm a, I'm all for that. You know I don't think there's an you know I, anyways I'm I'm a feminist so I sure. yeah. I don't think that uh, we need to have uh, beers with with those kinds of those kinds of images and stuff out there, um, you know, they're free to make them. They just don't have to be a member of the Brewers Association, I guess. Sure. I mean, really, Flying Dog was not even being told to change your labels, so uh, I, I think that that was kind of a, a hissy fit to, to leave over that because they were being grandfathered in specifically, you know, being told, you don't have to change anything, this is fine, but we don't want it to go farther than this, I guess, is kind of their uh, the idea, but yeah, I mean, it's a much more active Brewers Association, it seems, you know, like uh, like telling people what they should and shouldn't do. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I, I've talked to a couple of people, like my my brother-in-law, um, since Strange Brews went off the air, my brother-in-law has uh, invested in a brewery in Tallahassee, and, and I was just talking with him, like, about, you know, they don't bottle any beers yet, but 
you could still put a sign up in the window that says independent craft. And he, even he was circumspect about that. He's, uh, he's like, well, you know, we got to really evaluate. And then when I go to tap rooms, I'll ask the bartender if they're going to put it up. And usually they don't know. They're just like, yeah, I don't know. It's not really. They're like people like us are talking and thinking about this a lot more than the, some of the people who actually work in the industry. It seems. Yeah. And I, we I don't know. Question. Actually, you guys might. Do you guys work in the industry? I don't know. <laughs> no, we don't. We're just consumers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're. We've actually wondered how much it really impacts any non-beer nerd consumer. Anyways, how many people in the larger drinking community will even care? You know, in at large. I mean, there will be a certain number of people like us that will, of course, but ultimately, will it matter? Yeah. Will it be in? You know, will it really hit your bottom line to add this seal or not? And and I feel like it probably the average beer buyer is not going to care. They're probably going to look for, you know, how much it costs and uh, if it looks cool. And if their friends are, if if the group of people they're buying beer for are all going to like this, you know, the same beer. That's usually my the thing I run into. I want to buy some weird beer, and my wife is like, everyone's going to hate that beer. Like you have to get the mixed twelve pack or something, you know. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, I, but I, I do think it's a, a useful data point, you know, like right now I'm in Anaheim, California at a conference. I, I went to a convenience store last night and I was trying to figure out, you know, I'm try, always trying to taste new beers so that I can write about a bigger variety of stuff in my column. Um, and, you know, there were a bunch of breweries I'd never heard of. And if they had had that seal on there, it would have given me, uh, that much more information and to make my decision, like, what am I going to buy here in this convenience store? Sure. Um, so, and, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people buy something if it's uh, certified organic, you know, um, yeah. or, or like I, I try to buy fair trade coffee, you know, like just cause I've, I've visited some coffee farms in central America and so I want them to get a fair wage. Um, and so I always buy fair trade coffee. You know, I, I think there are cons- like that 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 might uh factor it into their decisions that that aren't already aware of what's going on so but yeah i mean travel would be a big thing when you're in an area you're not familiar with you're looking at a bunch of beers you've never had before and you want to just know quickly like is this a real brewery or is this like a pseudo brand you know (laughs) or what you know so getting that label tells me something so. yeah i hadn't thought about the uh fair trade so if you have the conspicuous consumer the one that's very socially conscious like that like i'm you know i'm the same mm-hmm. way i always buy fair trade organic coffee um so that's mm-hmm. something i hadn't really thought of that there's that certain sect of the community probably outside the beer nerds that will probably want to support the local community yeah. and support the true independent yeah and i did a little research into the fair trade uh, label after i thought about this comparison and it's actually, you know, I, I think you have to pay to get that label, and it's it hasn't. It's been criticized uh, that it hasn't been all that successful, but um, but I do think it's a good an analogy because it's not about what's in the product. It's like organic is telling you, you know, there's no pesticides or whatever in this. This was grown a certain way, but the independent craft label doesn't tell you anything about what the beer is going to taste like or how it's made uh, really, you know, it just tells you what the company is like that made it. So, um, in that way, I think that it relates a little bit better to like, um, independent or to a uh, fair trade or, you know, even like a dairy, real dairy label or something like that, you know? Um, so yeah, I, 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 Still, don't think I've seen it in the wild at a store. But <laughs> have yeah. you guys seen it anywhere? No, I I haven't. But then again, I'm also thinking it's yeah. kind of early on, considering how recent that seal came about. Plus, getting new cans and then manufacturing on top. Right, of Right, right. I've seen uh, social media like pictures from different breweries that are like, "Here's our can with the label," but I haven't actually seen one of those in the store. So. No, I haven't either. I suspect yeah. it's going to be a little while yet, but. So speaking right. of kind of that independent hyperlocal community, you mentioned in your article that the future of beer is hyperlocal. And we, in general, tend to agree on the show. And then 
you once said that you were surprised by, you said, quote, how seriously beer geeks take certain issues and how little interest they seem to have in others. And one example of this was localism. Drinkers will often say they prefer to drink local beer, but they often don't ask where the ingredients in the beer were produced. So is this trend towards hyper-localism? And we've seen this this week. Ninkasi left Texas. And on our local Facebook mm-hmm. group, all we saw was, oh, they're overrated. They all had a bunch of money. That's the only reason they were able to get out of Oregon. They're complete drain pours. I mean, we see this over and over again with good breweries. So, I mean, how is it – you're probably much more aware of the nationwide point of view on this. Have you seen it? I mean, you've said this before. and I'm, I, Apparently, it's just – I think it's gotten worse. Is hyperlocalism yeah. really a good thing? I, I mean, I think that um, – I think you can't really group – yeah, you got to separate out beer from, like, the locavore food movement, you know, which I think is what I was getting at with that point. Um, you know, like – getting a local beer is not like getting your tomatoes at the farmer's market. You know, it's a, it wasn't, it's not actually like a product of that place, you know, like it doesn't have the terroir or whatever, you know, unless, I mean, you can add some terroir with like wild yeast, I guess. And, um, you know, certain, uh, adjunct ingredients, you know, but, um, but really, you know, you're probably not getting, all your barley and hops and whatever from your own area. I, there are a few exceptions to that, which are interesting. Um, but I, I think the, the thing that's happened more recently though, uh, in the, like just in the past two years, you, you guys well know this, I'm sure. Um, is that these breweries that expanded and expanded like Sierra Nevada, the ones that opened in New, uh, North Carolina, like Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, Oscar Blues, like they they expected all this pent up demand to continue and continue and keep growing at you know fifteen percent or whatever twenty percent like Lagunitas you know they you would they there was one year when they like grew by like seventy percent capacity or something um, when they first went to Chicago, um, but uh, that's not really happening now and and more and more states are allowing taproom sales and self-distribution. And I think that just from the business side, like the equation makes a lot more sense now for a lot more breweries to just sell, you know, their limited amounts, less than 10,000 barrels a year, maybe just 2,500 um, and make a decent living um, and not always intend to keep scaling up like, we had the Revolution Brewing as a brewery that opened in Chicago probably, uh, I don't know, five years ago, seven years ago. Um, and they shot up to like about 100,000 barrels a year almost by now. And, you know, they've got limited distribution. They're only in maybe maybe three, four states at this point. Um, but, you know, they it was fast. Like, and... Recently, there was a, a survey by, or not a survey, but data released by this um, point of sale company, BevSoft, uh, about the most ordered beer in Chicago, like, you know, by name. At least this is just uh, facility, you know, this is only businesses that use this software, but um, it was Miller Lite and then it was Revolution Anti Hero IPA. Um, it was the second most popular just plain beer in Chicago, which is a pretty astounding thing, you know, um, to be, you know, more, more name recognition than Budweiser, you know, <laughs> or like yeah. asked for by name more than Bud or Bud Light or, um, MGD or, you know, whatever. Um, so that's a huge thing. Um, and I don't think that breweries are going to do that anymore because that's when you get into the pressure because you have a huge debt, you know, like to get up to that point, you're, so say you open a brewery, I've never opened a brewery, but this is my, what I gather from <laughs> observing the industry and interviewing people, you open a brewery and, you know, your first year, you might be able to make, if you're like a expansion oriented, you know, got a lot of investors, maybe the first year you make 10,000 barrels. And then the demand is so good that you, add a few more fermenters and then the next year you can make 
15, but then you also had to borrow half a million dollars for those fermenters or whatever it is, you know? Um, and so then your debt load just keeps increasing. And the way that you, you know, increase the revenues is by making more beer, but to make more beer, you take on more debt and then it becomes this vicious cycle of like, Oh, we got to keep expanding so that we keep making more beer and keep making more money so that we can pay off this debt. And then, you know, so it's, it's got this sort of like cycle that you get into, it seems. Um, but you know, if you kind of opt out of that, you can be a slow growth kind of local tap room only or self distributed bottles and cans, um, something like that. Then you, you know, aren't taking on huge debt loads. You don't have as much stress over, you know, meeting your obligations every month. So you're also less likely to take an offer from, you know, AB InBev when they come and want to buy your brewery or when a private equity company wants to buy half of your brewery or something, you know, and give up control. So then you can just keep your business independent um, because you're getting a much bigger share of those profits too. You're not cutting in a distributor at that point, you know? So Mm -hmm. if you're selling your beer in your tap room, um, you're getting a much bigger percentage of the profits after making the beer um, than you would if you were scaling up and you're cutting in the distributor and then you got to pay for marketing and you got to pay for shipping and transfer all that stuff, you know? So that's my understanding of of where things are going. (laughs) Do you think that craft beer is in a bubble and it's about to pop? No, I I don't think so. Uh, I think that, I think there's, there's a huge, uh, huge space for more breweries to open. Um, as long as they're not planning to go giant, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you could have, like, I don't have a brewery that I could walk to right now in Chicago. Um, there's a a few that I could, you know, might be a mile or two walk, but like, there's not one in my neighborhood that I just like pop around to and, and get an amazing, you know, IPA at, um, so, so I, and I think if one did open, it would probably have pretty decent business, you know? Um, and there's all kinds of towns all across the country that don't have a, a great brewery yet. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that the, the conventional wisdom is changing right now. And so that might appear like a bubble pop because people that, you know, invested in breweries, two years ago expecting to get X return on their investment are maybe going to be disappointed. Um, Cause it's just, it's not a, like, it's not like a get rich quick or like, it's not a gold mine. Yeah. You the know? Gold rush is over. Um, yeah. I feel like the gold rush is over, but I don't know that the bubble will pop necessarily. Maybe some, some less, some people who are like, Oh, I didn't actually want to, have to do the day in day out work of running a brewery mm-hmm. um, for the foreseeable future. Like maybe those folks might get out of it um, and those facilities might close, but um, I don't know if it's a bubble, you know, <laughs> maybe a bit of a recession, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a contraction or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, the whole thing about, um, the Ninkasi is a drain pour. <laughs> like, that's a whole part of the uh, the industry that I I would be happy to see go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I, I I get so tired of that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like it's kind of it's so like um, alpha male kind of like I'm a big and that's a lot of the the beer discussion like. I, I participate in it all the time, but uh, some of the time I'm just like uh, tired of it. Just sort of, it, it's sort of like playing our armchair business analyst or something, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, I've it's, definitely, fun to, it's fun to talk about. Yeah, I found myself opting out of those discussions, or in really more and more out of, especially kind of social media discussions in general, just because, especially stuff like that, like people get so vile about it. So. Yeah, yeah. There, there are certain certain Twitter accounts uh, that might be also based in Chicago that I'm not going to name, but uh, 
that will like, yeah, browbeat people if they disagree <laughs> with their business analysis. And I, I really you know, don't have the energy or, uh, I, I don't need to, to involve myself in that stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. do you mind if I ask you a couple of, uh, strange brews questions? Yeah, sure. Go for it. So with Strange Brews, you had the only public radio podcast about beer. And as far as I know, it's still the only one to this day. So <laughs> they said, you know, towards the end there, from what I read, WBZ said that it wasn't, I guess, profitable enough to sustain. So well, I understand that. I guess I understand that reason. I, I still, I've always questioned, like, how much money is going? Cause to me, it doesn't take that much money to put up a podcast. Right. So I always question, <laughs> I don't work for NPR. I don't know their business numbers, all that, but I've always had to question that myself, but I, I was wondering, why, do you, why didn't you and Allison continue strange brews as a podcast by yourself? Was it WB's brand and they opted to hold on to it or reject guys just putting it to bed and done with it? Yeah, that, um, it, it was WBZ's, uh, their, their brand because we, we started it as employees. Um, so, so I was doing it, you know, as on my day job time um, for WBEZ. And so I, that, I mean, that was a cost, I guess, to them, you know, um, right. and, uh, yeah, they, they owned the name and, and didn't want to give it up. So, yeah. um, so yeah, Allison and I we we explored a few new other options like maybe doing some documentary film or something about uh, the brewing industry, something like that. It, that nothing's panned out quite yet. Um, so yeah, and and then I kind of got into the um, into the writing stuff with the AV club. So you know, I've got a three-year-old kid, so that's about all the time I've got <laughs> for, yeah, fair enough. to do, do uh, one extra thing. So, and Allison is now, um, the artistic director of the, uh, Chicago humanities festival. So okay. she's got, um, she's got a big job now. Um, and she gets to do interviews with, you know, big thought leaders and stuff. So actually she's going to have a, an event coming up with Joe, Joe Swanberg, uh, the director of drinking buddies, uh, one of our early guests on strange brews, they're going to do it at the dovetail brewery in, um, Chicago coming up in, uh, in September, I think. So, and you're still working for, um, so, yeah, I'm at WBEZ and I'm, I'm still, I've been a digital producer this whole time as my job. And I've gone back to doing what I, was doing before strange brews some, but, uh, with slightly different focus. So I'm, I'm kind of heading up photos and videos for our web and social media, um, projects and stuff like that. So I'm working with the editorial side of, uh, be the reporters and stuff like that. So, um, I, and I won a couple of awards this year, so I am not only, <laughs> I've won awards for things besides beer podcasting. Now, so <laughs> Congratulations. <that's> <laughs> Thank you. So weren't you working on a book at one point that was called Drinking Woman or something like that? Oh, no, no, no my wife. Uh, wife. Yeah, my wife started a, uh, like a uh, sort of cooking, like a food blog um, yeah, an interview kind of website. And she is still kind of doing that. Um, it sort of morphed into more of like a recipe development sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, she was doing interviews and I would, I would do photos, uh, with like people in the, in the beverage industry, but just, you know, the time it takes is it's, we haven't been doing it as much lately. Again, three-year-old yeah. kids. <laughs> <laughs> So um, and and she's got a day job too. So yeah, that yeah. takes up enough of its own time. Stupid paying jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so two more questions. How do you think the beer change has changed since you ended Strange Brews back in 2015? Well, I mean, I you know I I did kind of you know it was it was convenient to say it, but it was right around the time that Lagunitas sold 50 percent to Heineken when we ended the podcast. And I really did feel like that was a shift, uh, you know, maybe not as seismic of a shift as has happened in the past year or two. Um, but I did feel like that was kind of the beginning of the end of, of that era. Um, so, you know, like you could mark 
2011 is when Goose Island sold to ABI. Um, it was the first big, you know, craft brewery sale to, to them. And, uh, and then once Log, Lagunitas was the biggest critic of, of Goose Island <laughs> for years, uh, very publicly, you know. Um, and so once they finally sold 50%, I feel like that is kind of a pretty neat bookend. But now that they've sold out, the other 50% as well. <laughs> and all these other breweries have sold to uh, AB InBev. Um, yeah, I do feel like that is a real, like, like, I guess the, how long has it been? Two years? Since Strangers? Three years? Two years. Um, yeah, two, those two years were like kind of a long goodbye to that yeah. era of, of craft beer. Um, and, and yeah, now I do feel like we're firmly into a new thing, um, you know. Um, it's been a definite sea change for sure. I, yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's I think it's exciting still. I think there's, uh, you know, the idea that the idea that like you can't know all the breweries now is is exciting to me. You know that like. I, I can make an effort to be well-read and well-versed, you know, but I'm never going to know all the breweries, and that's that's fine, you know. Um, I know what I know, and I can do, a, do good research. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I know that you've probably had some amazing beers from breweries that I've never heard of in Texas, you know, um, and... And that's cool. And I don't need you to ship me that beer. Like, I'm glad that you have it there. And if I go to Texas, I'll try it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll try, I, I don't even have time to try all the Chicago breweries, you know, like I, I got my time. There's more beer than I can drink, you know, it's yeah. all, it's all good. So. All right. Well, last question, referring back to your article from this past week, how independent should craft beer be? I mean, I, I think that maybe different terms are, are what we need. Um, I was, I was uh, actually joking about this idea on Twitter with uh, Jason Noddy, the, the guy who I talked about in the, in the article who published this, like, fake indie beer list. Um, he was criticizing breweries for taking private equity funding and not, you know, not being transparent about it. Um, and yet being big proponents of the independent craft label. And, you know, I was like, maybe we need like multiple brewers associations, like one for tiny breweries and one for uh, larger non corporate breweries, you know, and then there could be this sort of like a uh, lobbying group that, that would like sort of represent the interests of these smaller smaller places and it could have a more meaningful definition uh for that group you know what i mean um so i mean the the point i make at the end of the article i think is is one that i i believe more and more now since i wrote it is that you know like i i live in chicago i'm lucky i can get so many good beers but someone who lives i don't know in some town i've never heard of in nebraska maybe maybe they get some new belgium and uh and that new belgium is a is a pure brewery still <laughs> even if they are selling a voodoo ranger ipa and it doesn't look like they're, <laughs> they're an independent brewery but they they're employee owned so um but like uh dogfish head or one of these lagunitas or something if if that's all that you can get in that town like go for it. I don't want you to feel guilty about buying Lagunitas. Like, <laughs> um, totally fine by me, you know? Um, even if you bought a ABI beer, you know, that's, that's your thing, you know? Um, it, it's not everybody has the same things available to them. So I, I don't want to be in a place of judging them, you know? Um, the breweries that I'm going to get really excited about and actually like put the, time and mental energy into like following and uh and like seeking out those probably will be the totally independent small breweries um and you know if one of those were to sell sell out or something i would still feel a little sad you know um but i'm 
I'm probably not going to like disown them. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of an equivocating answer. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I just, I don't want to be one to judge like someone who's, who's trying to, to get new beers, uh, and get more interesting beers and understand what's going on. Like, uh, I'm not going to judge them if, if they don't have all these like small independent breweries available to them. So Mm -hmm. we should make it, we should make it easier, not harder for people to know if they're buying independent beer. I think that's true. Um, so, and to that respect, the independent craft label is useful. Um, maybe if, if, you know, this more pure version of the Brewers Association that I was just hypothesizing about, mm-hmm. if they wanted to come up with an extra label that's even more, you know, like yeah. a right side up can or something, I don't know. Like, um, if they wanted to do that, that would be great too. Um, you know, uh, I, the the more independent, the better for me because I know about this industry and this stuff. So, so for my personal taste, I would say I want it to be as independent as possible. But again, I'm not going to judge people who who drink beers that that aren't. If you're drinking good beer, that's good. Um, and if you learn more about it and become educated about it, um, I think there is a case to be made for independent breweries being a force for good in the country. You know, like that's to me, like at my most idealistic about beer, I feel like craft beer could be a force to sort of like radically remake the post-industrial fabric of America, you know, <laughs> um, it's a manufacturing, it, it creates jobs, it binds together local communities, it makes local communities unique, you know, it, it gives people a point of pride, you know, um, it's, it's a real strong, potent force, and um, it's the most potent when it's independent, um, but, but again, it's, it's also someone else's business that they need to make a living off of and they've got to make the decisions they have to make. So yeah, they should just, just be transparent, be upfront about it. If you explain, you know, why you had to take an investment or something, I think people are more understanding, um, that coming from someone who's like not in, in the business world, you know, (laughs) I'm sure that would be terrible advice if you're a CEO or something. (laughs) Just be as transparent as possible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you can find Andrew on Twitter at, at Andrew Gill, as G-I-L-L, or you can find him on avclub.com. Just look for his pick six column. There'll be a link to the article in the show notes. And you write that article about the first week of every month, correct? Yep, yep. And uh, I've got a few more uh, non-pick six articles coming up soon. So I just turned in a, a beginner's guide to uh, Oktoberfest beers to to run in the next week or two. So that should be up soon. I'm working on something about home brewing, so um, do something on that soon. So, yeah, uh, AV Club is the main place to find that. Well, thanks for listening to episode 115 of Bloods. Thanks to Andrew Gill from the Onions AV Club and the Pick 6 column for joining us on the show today. I know you appreciated my questions. Yeah, you were great. They were you were so informative. I don't know why you walked... Uh, what you don't know, to pull back the curtain, is as soon as he heard Andrew Gill was going to be on the show, Dustin uh, tore off his uh, non-prescription glasses, threw them to the ground, smashed them, and walked out of the room. I rage-flipped my own desk That's right. walked out of here. That's right. That's right. I had to hold everything together with bailing wire and uh, duct tape just to get that uh, interview done. You did a good job with that. Well, I'm glad you always have bailing wire on you just for such occasion. A bailing wire, everything is a bailing wire emergency all the time. Yes. Well, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for your support. Uh, we appreciate it. If you don't subscribe to the show, you should. Just go to brewbloods.net. There are links there to subscribe to the show or go to your favorite podcast player and there's always a search engine there. Just search for us, Bruce Base Bloods, and you can find it. Subscribe. We'd appreciate it. And it's it, free. It's free. And, no uh, subscription costs. No subscription costs whatsoever. If you have any friends that enjoy podcasts, enjoy craft beer, just point them our way. We would really appreciate it. Please tell your friends. And if you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate that as really, well. Really, if you have an enemy that likes it, yeah, just be like, screw you, listen to this podcast. That's yeah. fine. 
you have a 104-year-old grandmother that has somehow lived despite drinking six beers a day, yeah, and she might have a ripped uh, six-pack, you know, some <laughs> Maybe she packs. And she likes craft beer. She likes craft beer. Point her away. Maybe she likes podcasts. Maybe she's a modern hip grandma. <laughs> At 140. At 140, that's right. Check us out on the social networks, tell them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you have any feedback on the show, you can email us at brewbloodshow at gmail.com or you can call us at 469-573-BEER. That's 469-573-2337. And thanks to Jason Charles Passons for emailing us this week. Yes. All right, for Dustin, I'm Mark. For Mark, I'm Dustin. Prost. Prost.